I want you to take out your copy of God's Word, and I want you to turn with me to Mark chapter 12. Now, last week, as we began the year 2020, we started a series entitled 2020 Vision. In life group today, I told them I'm not very creative, but I can see the obvious. And since it's the year 2020, this just made sense, right? Again, not creative, but I can see the obvious. The goal for us is to all allow God to do an examination of our lives individually and even as a church to check and see if we're seeing things correctly, if we're seeing things that God desires for us to see them. We look into the scriptures, folks, because this is really God's spiritual eye chart for our lives. And can I say this? God's spiritual eye chart does not change. Now, if you were to go to the eye doctor, one of the most used eye charts is what's called the Snellen eye chart. I've got it up here for you to look at. Now, here's the thing about that chart, okay? It doesn't change. To get your eyes checked, you don't need to go change what the chart says. You simply need to see how well you see what is printed on it. Now, I guess if you want to do this, you could cheat on your test. I guess you could get a copy of the eye chart before you go to the eye doctor. You could memorize them. And so when they point to certain lines and say, what does this say? You could give the right answer. However, to do so is not beneficial to your life. And let me go ahead and say this. The doctor has other tests to find out that you're cheating, right? Now, it's not going to help, again, if you go ahead and do that and not get a proper diagnosis. Again, if you're not honest about what you tr truly see, it's not going to help. Now, as I think about that in relation to the Bible, as I said this, the Bible does not change, okay? That's a place where somebody could say amen, right? It, it doesn't change. But like with an eye chart, what people do is that you can memorize it and you can be able to give the right response about what it says. But here is the real question. Are you seeing what it says properly? To just memorize responses, but to not clearly see what is being said to you by God has no benefit to your life. And to, to live not seeing clearly is to live blurry lives. And let me tell you, God knows whether you're seeing correctly or not, even if you got this memorized. Now, today what we're going to do is look at a passage of Scripture many of you have read many times before. I know this, it's a passage that I've preached many times before. Some of you have even memorized it and you know it word for word about what it says. Today though, I want us to look at it again, not being able just to recite it, but looking and asking, do you truly see what God is saying to you here? Are you seeing what God wants you to see? And more than that, are you living clearly as he wants? The goal of seeing clearly is so that you can live clearly. That's ultimately what I want to ask you today. Are you living as God wants you to live? And for you to answer yes to that today, here's what you need to see. You need to see that God wants you to love deeply. That's what he wants you to do. He wants you today to love deeply. So let's look at Mark 12, verses 28 through 34 together. And one of the scribes came up and heard them disputing with one another and seeing that he, that being Jesus, answered them well, he asked him, which commandment is the most important of all? And Jesus answered, the most important is, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. And the second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. And the scribe said to him, you are right, teacher. You have truly said that he is one and there is no other beside him. And to love him with all your heart and with all your understanding, with all your strength and to love one's neighbor as oneself 
It's much more than all whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. And when Jesus saw that he answered wisely, he said to him, you are not far from the kingdom of God. And after that, no one dared to ask him any more questions. Now, this passage starts as a scribe saw that Jesus had answered a question from a Pharisee correctly. So he himself wanted to ask Jesus a question. The question, as we saw it, was, what is the most important commandment? In other words, what does God want me to do the most? I mean, that's a good question, is it not? It's a question that we should want to know the answer to. We should want to know, God, what is it that you want me to do more than anything else? What is the greatest commandment you have for my life? Well, when we look at that, what was Jesus' response? Well, what you, you see is this. We see God's desire for our life. And the first thing we see in his response is this, is that you should prioritize a deep love for God. Look again at how Jesus answered. He said, the most important is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. You see, what Jesus made very clear is that the number one focus of your life, the thing that you should be, be more important to you than anything else to you is your love for God. Now, we could probably stop right there and do an evaluation. We could all ask the question, is God what I love the most in life? Could we not stop and ask that question? Is God what I love the most in life? Now, in church, here's what I know. We all want to answer that question, yes. yes, all right? But the true answer is probably something other than yes. It might, might even be that you love God more than most things, or he's at least tied as the thing you love the most. But Jesus didn't say you love God toward the top of your list or that you love God as much as you love the other things in life. Jesus said that your love for God is the most important thing for you to do in life. Now, as we seek understanding of that, Jesus gave us some qualifiers to help us determine if you are loving God right. He clarifies it by saying this, you love the Lord with your heart. To love the Lord with your heart means that you love the Lord with your emotions and with your passions. It is have God as the motivation for what you do. To love the Lord with your heart means that he is what you treasure. If you love God, you cannot be empty of feelings or be complacent in living because your heart ultimately even shows what is the most important thing to you. In fact, in Matthew 6, in Jesus' greatest sermon, he warns us about pursuing the treasures of this world and all that it provides. That could be, again, for you, if that's large amounts of money or fancy homes or expensive cars or large nameplates on your desk, whatever you consider that thing for you that is of large value and what you think are valued by others. Jesus warned about pursuing those things as he warned them to be careful about pursuing these things on earth because he went on to say this, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also, okay? See, God knows the things that you pursue the most is really the thing that has your heart. Now, one way that you express that you love the Lord with your heart is through your worship. Now, when I say that, I'm not even trying to dictate how you express yourself in worship. For some people, that might be more reserved because that's how you wired. For others, it will be very expressive. It will include the raising of hands or the clapping of your hands. It could even mean an occasional amen when your preacher shares something that you know is in line with the heart of God, right? All right, yeah, see, it works, okay? You can do those things, all right? Either these ways or something in between can be an appropriate expression of worship. But the key is that your heart is engaged and that you have an emotional and passionate connection with God, the God of this universe. And might I say this? 
A true heart that worship God will not just worship on Sunday. You really worship every day. Now, then we are told that you love God with your soul. This is your inner being, the depth of who you are, your subconscious. In order to love the Lord in your soul, you have to develop an intimate relationship with God. It starts as you become a believer in Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit begins to dwell in you. It dwells in your soul. But then one of the best ways to develop this spirit is through prayer, where you are in dialogue with the holy God. So in the depth of who you are, you are walking with God moment by moment. Truly, you need to love God with your soul. But you also, it says, love God with your mind. No doubt this would include your intellect. It means you study the word of God so that you might understand the truths of God. It means you engage in things like life groups where you can be discipled and grow in your understanding of God with others. God wants us to engage our mind, folks, because having faith does not mean this. Having faith does not mean I check my brain at the door. That's not what it means. We, in fact, as believers should be able to give a good defense of our faith and why we believe what we believe. With that said, though, I want us to understand that loving God with your mind is not just your intellect, it is your thought life as well. In Romans 8, it says this, for those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the what? Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to who? God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You see, if you're going to love God with your mind, then you have to set your mind on the things of God and not the flesh. Ask yourself this, what what, what do you fill your mind with? What, What do you dwell on in your mind? Because what is in your mind will ultimately dictate what you do. If you think about the things of God, you're more likely to do the things of God. If you think about the things of the flesh, you will most likely pursue the things of the flesh. But if you love God with your mind, you will think about the things of God. And if you think about the things of God again, you will more easily love God in the fourth way listed. You will love God with your strength. You see, as I read that, I simply think this. How do I love God with my strength? It's my actions. It's what do I do for God? If you love God, listen, you will be about the things of God. You will give your strength to them. Now, having mentioned these four things, let me pause for a moment. I went through those fairly quickly. Didn't even explain them with a lot of detail. And here in part is why. I could be wrong in trying to neatly and cleanly separate these four ways that we love God. I say that because ultimately here's the point that Jesus is truly trying to get to get us to. You are to love God with all you are. All right. And you are one person just as God is one. And therefore, you really cannot divide yourself into parts because all the parts truly make a whole. All right. You are heart, you are soul, you are mind, and you are strength. And so the point really is this, you are to love God with all you are. I also want to emphasize something now because in a way I intentionally didn't say a word a while ago when I explained these things, and that is the word all. Okay. You are not just called to love God with your heart. You are called to love God with all your heart. Or or you're loving with your soul. You're called to love him with all your soul or just your mind. It's all your mind and not your strength. It's all your strength. You are called to love him again, as it says, with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind and with all your strength. You hear that key word? It is 
all with an exclamation point, all right? That is a tall order. God wants all of you. He wants all your heart. Think about this. God doesn't want you to just to worship him on Sunday, as I said a while ago, all right? That, that, that God, God wants you every day of the week, all right? You, you might come on, on Sunday and, and you think, oh, that's, that's my feel of God for the week. That's all I need when God says, no, I want your Mondays through Saturday as well. He doesn't want your heart just until loving him with your heart interferes with your sports or with your vacation or with your bank account. He wants all of your hearts. He wants all your time. He wants all your soul. He doesn't want you just to look good on the outside of the people. He wants you in the depth of who you are. He wants all of your soul. He wants all of your mind. He wants you thinking about him all the time. He doesn't want just your leftover strength, Lord. He wants, listen, every bit of your strength. He wants the best you have to offer him. And let's be honest, okay? Most of us want a shallow love for God okay, where it doesn't bother certain aspects of our lives. But God says, I want a love that is deep. I want you to love me deeply. And he wants all of you. It's your heart, it's your soul, and your mind, and your strength. Which, folks, by the way, tells me, as you heard what the Scripture said, if you immediately thought, oh, I know such and such needs to hear this, and I hope they're listening. Let me say this. It probably means God doesn't have all of you. Because he wants all of you. You need to let God give you an exam of your life so that he can reveal to you the areas that are not all his so that you can give those areas to him. And here's my guess. If you let God do an exam, you will not have much time to worry about whether others are loving God in this way or not because you'll realize this. You have enough of you to work on on your own. You'll realize, listen, God, I, I need, there's part of my heart that I've kept from you, God. You need this. God, there's part of my soul that, that I've not given to you, God, and I know you need it. God, there's some of my mind that's not yours, and I need to give that to you. My strength, Lord, I'm keeping this from you. You'll realize if you go to God and say, Lord, am I loving you with all of this? You'll probably realize you got enough to work on without worrying whether somebody else is loving God in this way. Which really leads you, though, as you prioritize this deep love for God, he'll do something for you. If you'll prioritize that, if you'll go deep with him, he will lead you to do this, cultivate a deep love for others. You remember after loving God, Jesus said this, the second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. Again, for most this morning, you haven't, you, you've heard this before, okay? But let's think about this for a moment. You are told to love your neighbor as yourself. Now, that's an interesting qualifier to me. And, and, and love your neighbor as yourself. Now, maybe we think that pretty explanatory, but let's consider this. There's a part of loving yourself that's easy. And the part, there's a part of loving yourself that's not quite so easy. Am, am I right? Think about it. The easy part is you want to love yourself in a way and you do love yourself in a way. Why? Because you're always fighting for yourself. You want to get the highest grade in the class. 
You want to be the best on the team. You want to get the job over others. You want the promotion. You want to get the raise. You want the new car. You want to purchase the new home. You want your team to win. You want people to like you. You want to win the argument. You want your way in the situation. You want to be first in line. You want, you want, and you want. You are always fighting before yourself because you love yourself. Even though you wouldn't say it that way, or maybe you wouldn't even think of it as that, you love you. You are first on your mind. Even when you don't think you love you, you love you. All right? In some ways, loving you is easy. Now, on the other hand, there are ways in which you fight to love yourself. Because you know your flaws and your shortcomings, there are times you're not even sure you like yourself. Or at a minimum, there are times that you wish you were more like someone else. Am I right? I mean, Sean's here this morning. Sean would look at me and say, I I think you want to be like J.D. Greer because I'm always talking about J.D. Greer. I'm always reading his stuff and, and, you know, I'm quoting him, all that stuff. He he, he thinks I want to be like J.D. Greer. I don't want to be like J.D. Greer. You know why? I don't know J.D. Greer. I've read his books. I've heard his sermons. I've never met him in person. I don't know J.D. Greer. How do I know if I want to be like? He might be a jerk. I don't know. But I will say this. I probably at times would really like to be a little bit more like my friend, Ronnie Reigns. Why? Because I know Ronnie Reigns. I know his heart. I know how he operates. I know who he is. And there's a lot about him that I say this. I sure wish I was a whole lot more like him because he seems to have it a whole lot more together than I do. And there's times I look and say, I, I, I want to be like him, right? And some of you, listen, you know this, you have that time in your life too where you say, I, I don't know I like this about me. There's somebody else I would like to be more like. Many of us, again, have that person we'd say, I, I want to be, and, 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 and I don't know if I really love me. And some faith this battle of loving self more than others. I guarantee you sitting in this room today, there are str- some here that struggle to like yourself at all. Now, here's why I acknowledge this, because we are told to love others as yourself. And how do you love others as yourself when you don't even love yourself? Well, the answer is first to remind yourself of what God has told you in his word, that you are his prized possession, that he created you wonderfully, that you have eternal worth in his eyes. And the way that you are created is perfect in his eyes. You need to remember that God loves you even with your scars or your peculiarities or your struggles that you think might render you unlovable. Keep in mind that God loved you so much that he sent Jesus to die for you to prove his love for you, all right? More even to come about that later. But you need to know you are lovable. God's created you that way. You are lovable today. So if you are to love others as you love yourself, how do you do that first? As you naturally love yourself enough to work for your personal well-being, that's what you do for others. You look to put them first. You look to help them succeed in school. You work to help them have the materials they need to survive. You work to help them recover when they are sick. You let them have first place in line, the closer parking spot at the store or at church. You love others by looking to meet their needs. You love others by putting them before you, making them first. You can also look to Jesus' answers in Luke 10. When someone asked Jesus, well, who is my neighbor was? Jesus told the parable of the Good Samaritan. And what did the Good Samaritan do? What did he do? He took care of the man who was injured. He met the immediate need, did he not? Is that how we love others? If we see a need, what do we do? What should we do? Fill that need. 
take care of it, help them. That's how we love others. And by the way, let me remind you that the parable of the Good Samaritan even reminds us that we are called to love others who do not necessarily look like us or share all our beliefs. Maybe if Jesus told the parable today, he would say it like this. One day there was a prominent Republican walking to Congress and fell among thieves and was laying on the ground beaten and bleeding to death when the president came by and saw him, yet walked by on the other side. Then a short time later, the majority leader of the Senate, Mitch McConnell, saw him and passed by on the other side without helping. But then the Speaker of the House, Nancy Pelosi, walked by, saw him, took pity on him, bound up his wounds, took him to the hospital, even told the billing department, anything the insurance doesn't cover, send that bill to me, I will cover it. And as Paul, as 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 appalled as some of you all are right now by my illustration was just what Jesus, all right, was just what Jesus was trying to do when he looked and said in his parable when this Samaritan helped a Jew when all the Jews passed by. See, see who are we called to love? Listen, it's everyone, yes. Our love for others should not be just for others who are like us. It should even be to love those who might see, we see as the opposite of us. And why? Because they are God's children just as we are. Now, when I think about loving others, again, I I think a little struggle that we have loving ourselves and how that relates to our struggle in loving others at times. It is a reason I use the phrase for this point that you need to cultivate a deep love for others. Because just as we have to work on loving ourselves at times, we have to work on loving others. We have to cultivate that deep love. We have to do, as we do with ourselves, as we do with anyone, even remind them that, listen, that remind us that they are created in the image of God, that God desires to redeem everyone and that God loves everyone equally. And then what we do is we love them accordingly. And hear me when I say this. It it, it means more, though, than just meeting their needs. Loving others by meeting needs, can I say this, is really the easy part. Is it not? It is. The best passage I know that reminds us how we are to love others outside the realm of just meeting practical needs is 1 Corinthians 13, okay? Remember, the challenge today is that we are called to love deeply, and we get some good guidance on this from 1 Corinthians 13. If you want, go ahead and turn there, all right? Go ahead and turn to 1 Corinthians 13. As you're turning, because some of you are familiar with this passage, let me ask you this question. When do you normally hear 1 Corinthians 13 read? Absolutely right, right? If I've heard this passage read so many times, it's read, read, read at weddings, all right? But can I say this? 1 Corinthians 13s are not words designed for a wedding, They're not. These are words to the church. These are words for believers for every day. If you go back and read them in context, Paul's discussion starts before chapter 13. In fact, in chapter 12, he's setting the stage for what he said in chapter 13. And he says this, he says, for just as the body is one and has many members and all the members of the body, though many are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit, we were all baptized into one body. Jews are Greeks, slaves are free and are all made to drink in how many spirits? One. You see, he's speaking about the unity of the body of believers in Jesus and how we are all on equal ground. He later follows that that up by speaking about how though we are one, at the same time, we have different gifts. 
So we are not the same in ability. We are not the same in how we function within the body. Some have the ability to teach, some to administrate. Some have the gifts of tongues. Others have the ability to interpret those tongues and so forth. You see, I I get frustrated sometimes because when people want everyone to have what they have and function as they function in in, in the church, I get frustrated because the Bible says that's just not going to happen. All right, we are created differently. We will operate differently, okay? We're gonna have different passions. We're gonna have different strengths. So we are one, but we're different, Right? And so we're not going to be uniform in that way. Now, if we can remember these two principles that we're equal, but in a way we're we're different, then then, then, then it'll go a long way in helping us love others, especially those that are different than you. Now, after Paul establishes this truth, when chapter 13 starts, Paul reminds us that if you don't have love in your life, then it really doesn't matter what gift you've got. If you can talk with the tongue of men of angels, but have not love, you're noise. All right, you, you can give everything away to the poor, but if you don't have love, you're, you're nothing, okay? You can do anything you want for the Lord, but without love, you don't have nothing, okay? When, when you get to verse four then, Paul then goes on to explain to us, well, what does love look like? Well, I'm gonna say this, that if you want to love deeply, like it says in 1 Corinthians 13, here's what I would challenge you to do. I would challenge you to begin in verse four and read and study and say, God, show me how I do this. Now, I don't have time today to go in depth this morning, so I'm only gonna point out a few things, but here's what I'm gonna encourage you. I want you to encourage you later, even maybe today. Take out this passage, read through it, read it again, read it again, and read it again, and ask the Lord to show you, God, how am I to love others in this way? So let's look at these words. What did he say? He said, love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. Now, folks, these should be convicting words to us. If you truly love deeply, dive into these words. Think about loving, being patient, and and kind. Do we need to work on being patient and kind? Do, Do you understand how important being patient and kind is? To deep love. If you're married here this morning, I bet you know how, how important that is. All right? Because if you are married, you truly have to be patient and you truly have to be kind if you're going to grow in your love for your spouse and go deep. Anybody here have a spouse that drives you crazy in some ways? <laughs> well, see, I was hoping I'd get a few hands raised to get some of y'all in trouble this morning. That was really my goal. But, but can I do this? Can I do this? Look, my hand's raised. My hand's raised. If Kim was here this morning, if she wasn't teaching at Springfield Road, she'd be with me this morning, but she's teaching so she couldn't be here. She'd raise her, her hand because I drive her crazy at times. We all drive each other crazy at times. Amen? Amen? All right, that's a good place for that, okay? But here's what we know. When we are patient and kind with the one that we love, here's what it helps us do. It even helps us, it keeps us from getting frustrated But then here's what it allows us to do. It allows us to understand why some of the things are even in our spouse's life that drive us crazy. We can understand why are they like that. But if we're not patient and we're not kind, we never go deep enough to understand them. We just get frustrated, right? God would say you need to be patient and you need to be kind if you're going to go deep. Again, and that's not just in marriage. It's with people, patient and kind. 
Again, there'll be things with other people that's gonna frustrate you about them. But here's my question. Are you gonna get angry or are you gonna be patient and kind with them so you can love them right so that you even might know what's going on in their life because you might find out why the way they are and you might be a little bit more understanding about the way that they are. Think about this one. Love is not irritable or resentful. With that one, you're probably ready to stop considering this passage. (laughs) I don't know if you've noticed this, but we live in a society that is easily irritable. You can probably use other terms, even offended, insulted, bothered, ticked off. There are probably a number of other terms you could use, but they all describe being irritable, then resentful. Let's even think about that in another vein as well and consider that if love is not resentful, then love has to be forgiving. Right? Once again, I make note that we live in a world where people do not want to forgive. They refuse to forgive, so they become bitter, angry, hateful people because they have let resentment linger in their lives. Therefore, they easily put others out of their lives. Have you not noticed that today? Next, love does not rejoice in wrongdoing. Yet we rejoice when others fail, especially if they're they're our enemy, right? Love rejoices in the truth. If love rejoices in the truth, first it says you don't jump to conclusions or assume the worst about others. You find out the truth before you judge. Then if you rejoice in the truth to love someone deeply, it means that you're willing to have hard conversations with necessary, all right? Because sometimes loving means having hard truth conversations, Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. Now, like I said, I don't have time to go into these in detail, but take some time later and let God speak to you about these things and see if they describe your love for others. If you remember that these words are written within the larger discussion about the body of Christ, then you first have to ask this question, am I loving my fellow believer with this kind of love? That's where it starts. Let me ask you, shouldn't it be easy to love those in this room? It should be, should it not? But let's be honest, even within the church, we haven't loved each other well. Talked about it in the life group a little bit this morning. I mean, why is the world going the way it's going? Because we Christians have failed to do what we are supposed to do. We haven't been the light in the darkness that we are supposed to be. Let's go ahead and admit it, church. We within the church haven't loved each other the way God is calling us to. So let's pick these things up and let's read them and say, God, first of all, am I loving my fellow believer as you've told me to love them? And then God, show me, am I loving those outside the church this way? Because who am I supposed to love this way? Everyone. Now then, as you look at this description description of love, we look at it and and say, why why must I do this? Okay, Jesus was very explicit of why I need to love this way. He said in John 13, 35, by this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have loved one for another. Now, no doubt the vision for your life in 2020 should be a vision to cultivate a deep love for others because it is what God would want you to do. Now, if you're going to prioritize a deep love for God and cultivate a deep love for others, then it's absolutely essential to do this. Be compelled by God's deep love for you. If we once again take a moment to be honest, neither of these first points that I've made come natural for us. We do not naturally prioritize a deep love for God because we tend toward being an enemy of God. Right? 
Ephesians 2 states the problem this way. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and mind, and we are by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. You see, listen, folks, where we find ourselves naturally is dead in sin. That's our natural state. Children of wrath our natural state, disobedient, our natural state, not lovers of God, our natural state. And because we don't love God right, we don't love others right. But then look how Ephesians 2 continues. I love this. Look at this. Look at this very closely. You ready? But God being rich in mercy because of the love which he showed us. Did I read that right? Yeah, thank you. Yeah. No, God, because of the great love which, which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. His love awakens me. I love that phrase, because of God's great love for us. Not just because of his love for us, but because he loved us with a great love, he made us alive. He changed the course of our life. As the song says, how deep the Father's love for us, how great beyond all measure, that he should give his only son to make a wretch his treasure. It is the deep love of God that changes us and makes us different. It is his love that makes it possible for us even to love him and to love others. As it says in 1 John 4, 19, we love because he first loved us. We love because he loves us. It is his love. Let me hear it. It is his love that compels us to love others. All right. I should even back up and say first, it is his love that compels us to love him first. And then it compels us to love others out of our love for him. First John three sixteen even reminds us by this, we know love that he laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. We know what love is as we look to Jesus and his sacrifice for our sins. And then it is that love that compels us to even be willing to love others to the point that we would lay down our lives for them. Now, as we move to a close today, let me ask you, do you understand that God loves you deeply? You understand that? You're in church, and so maybe you quickly say, oh, yeah, I, I know that, Brother Scott, I know that, but do you really? Do you really? Some here today have had parents that have not loved you correctly, so if you're honest, you have a hard time understanding and receiving God's love for you. Please don't look to the world for your example of what it means to be loved. Look to Jesus hanging on the cross and you will understand what a deep love looks like. A deep love by God that says you are worth the greatest of sacrifices. You are worth the death of God's one and only son. That is what you are worth. And if you struggle to love yourself, would you look to the cross today and be reminded that you are worth being loved today? If you will, I wanna challenge you to accept that love. Because some here this morning have never accepted God's love. You've never confessed your sin to God. You've never asked Jesus to forgive you. You've never accepted Jesus as your Savior. Will you do that today? Because, folks, that is the first step in prioritizing a deep love for God. As you receive his love, hear me, as you receive his love into your heart by giving your life to Jesus as your Savior, God will then give you the ability to love him fully in return. You can't do it on your own. Do you hear me? 
You can't do it on your own. You need the spirit of the living God in your life, even to love God correctly. And he's been calling you to him and saying, I love you and I'll show you how much I love you. I'm gonna die for you. You are worth everything God has. He gave it to you. And he's just saying, listen, if you invite me in, I'll even help you love me back. I'll make you alive. I'll awaken you and you can love me. And then I'll help you love others. But now for those who are here this morning, you say, well, I've I've already accepted God's love. I, I must ask you this question. Are you living in that deep love for God to the point that you are cultivating a deep love for others? And yes, I'll say it again, cultivate because it's not always easy to love others, especially the way we're told in 1 Corinthians 13. Will you make a commitment today to understand God's desire in regard to your love for others as 1 Corinthians 13 indicates? Are you willing to simply go beyond helping the poor at Christmas time and saying, well, I love others? Are you willing to go beyond saying, well, I want a mission trip, so I'm loving others? Are you willing to go beyond saying that you volunteered in ministry, so you're loving others? Are you willing to go beyond saying, I knocked on doors, so I'm loving others? Folks, listen, the world has seen enough of shallow love and is waiting for Christians to step up with a deep love and demonstrate a love like 1 Corinthians 13, where love is patient and kind, where love does not envy or boast, where love is not arrogant or rude, where love does not insist on its own way, and where love is not irritable or resentful, where love does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth, where love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things, where love never ends. If you have that kind of love, you will do some of the acts I mentioned earlier, going on mission trips, doing those things. But I'm here to tell you what you need first and more importantly in your life is a deep love like 1 Corinthians 13 that I know this will change the world. Do you have a deep love today? In 2020, I know God's vision for all of us here today is that we would have a deep love, a deep love for him. It's the priority of our lives. God, I love you. And then let that love cultivate a love for others. Are you ready to love in 2020? Are you ready? I hope, again, it's not a shallow love, but in 2020, we go deep. Will you pray with me, Father? As we come to you this morning, again, Lord, what I know is this. We've looked at a very familiar passage. And God, what I'm thankful for is that your target is not moving. It is the same. It's the same yesterday, today, and forever. So I don't have to guess, Father, from one day to the next what you want. It is true. It's unchanging. And so, Father, today my prayer would be you would take what is a very familiar passage and do an exam of our life, Lord, and help us see whether we are seeing as you desire for us to see. Help us to come under your examination, Father, and you show us. Show us, Father, truly, are we loving you with all of ourselves, all of our heart, our soul, and our mind and strength? If not, Father, show us today. Show me, Lord, a part of me that's not all yours. And let today be the day we give it all to you. Father, show me from there, Lord, even how I'm not loving others the right way. Lord, show me uh, that 1 Corinthians 13 love that I need where love is patient and kind and uh, all those things, God, that you desire of us. And Father, where I'm not those things, would you show me? Show this congregation. Help us, Father, truly in 2020 to be a place where your love flows so that the world might be attracted to this because, Lord, this is what I know. If we love as you desire, the world will take notice.
because they've not seen normally this kind of love. So speak to our hearts this morning, God, as we come to this time of invitation. It's a time, again, for you to examine. Speak to our hearts, Lord, and may we come to you being open and honest and let you show us your desire and your will. And may we make commitments to you as you desire of us. And as I pray these things, I pray them in Jesus' name, amen.